Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. You can find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. Remember, subscribe to our feed for new episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or find them on nationalreview.com. Though those subscribers always get them a little early, those episodes on Mondays. Listen, share, enjoy, please leave reviews as well for Political Beats. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. And my tag team partner standing by, as always, is Jeff Blair. Jeff? Uh, you no, know, Scott, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I'm feeling a little bit embarrassed right now. I, um, I'm i just going to say that the uh, 11th grade school uniform that I'm wearing here uh, with the embarrassingly short shorts, it doesn't quite fit like it used to. Uh, let's just say that old Jeff is having a little trouble getting into those old size 28s. Um, <sighs> but that the capture looks nifty. And, I'll say that much. and here is where everyone is thankful we are an audio-only podcast with no video That's involved right. whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> follow Jeff on Twitter at EsotericCD. And our guest this week on Political Beats, he is a staff writer at Roll Call, also writing a book currently about autism and public policy. You can find him on Twitter at Eric M. Garcia. He is Eric Garcia. Eric, welcome into Political Beats. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate the time. We'll get to your band in just one moment. But first, we uh, turn the floor over to you, Eric. We uh, This is the show where we talk with people in politics and covering politics and writing about politics, of course, not about politics at all, but about music. But we still want to know, how did you get involved in uh, in politics with Roll Call? How did you get involved in your political beat? Um, I, started, I started getting into politics um, my parents you know my dad watched fox news all the time uh, my dad's a really right-wing conservative my stepdad is a liberal uh guy who, voted, who supported bernie sanders this last go around my mom is a moderate republican turned moderate democrat and you know they uh you know and politics was just something that always got into me so when uh i needed to pick a profession initially i thought i wanted to play guitar and like this Band that we're going to be talking about right now, but then like my mom said, you need to pick a real job, and eventually I got into journalism, and so I've just been I wrote for National National Journal for a while. Um, I was at Market Watch before then, and then I but I got my start covering politics for my college newspaper back at the University of North Carolina, really because uh, playing rock and roll guitar couldn't pay the bills. <laughs> well, playing rock and roll guitar did pay the bills for our guests, or not for our guest, for our featured artist today. Uh, the, uh, the boys from down under ACDC is our band today here on Political Beats. ACDC is one of those bands that, for me, has just been around forever. Fabric of your life, of course, with the... Uh, now, you know what? But before we carry on one more second, I have to interrupt you right off the bat. We need to solve this once and for all. Are ACDC yeah. really from Australia, or are they from Scotland? I'm going to go with that they're Scottish. Um, you can't really have a band that uses bagpipes that up front in their first song on their American single on their American album and not say you're a Scottish band. I think that you can, I think that they, and then there were also a lot of Scots who moved to Australia during that time. So I think it's pretty fair to say that they're, that they're Scots, that they're Scots, Australian, not, not, not pure Australian. Scott, your opinion. 
your opinion. This has to be settled here because there's a lot of national pride on the line. Yeah, well, Phil Rudd was actually Australian. And so at least yeah. for, for a time, there were zero Australians in the band when Phil Rudd left in, what, 83 or so. So I, I think, you know, by that metric and perhaps by that metric alone, we, they have to be thought of as, what, a, a Scottish band that perhaps was formed in Australia, but, but, a, but a Scottish band at heart? Is that what we want to go with? I don't know. It's, it's an eternal conundrum. This is the issue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think, I think my friends who are Scottish would probably kill me if I didn't say, if I called them an Aussie band, it's kind of like when Andy Murray is playing in Wimbledon and like when he's playing really well, like the question is he's British then, but when he loses, he's, he's, he's Scottish. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and I've gotten us completely off track right off the bat. Uh, this is something I do ten, uh, quite often. Scott, you were saying this band has been around as long as you've been alive. Continue well, on with you were saying longer than I've been alive, of course. But if the, the the music has been uh, everywhere thanks to Back in Black, uh, thanks to uh, well a, a movie soundtrack in the eighties, uh, thanks to The Razor's Edge in nineteen ninety, and uh, and ever since then, sort of sort of playing off that success of The Razor's Edge. But yeah, my my first introduction, Brian Johnson vocals, and then of course. I think, well, that, that, why does that guy sound so weird previously? And then you find out, well, there, was, there used to be, there was a different lead singer. There was Bon Scott. He passed away. Yeah. And you start to understand the differences between yeah. Bon Scott era ACDC and Brian Johnson era ACDC. And ACDC was that band growing up, for me at least, that always had that tinge of, of, uh, of, of darkness and danger. And was it okay to like ACDC, or were they, you know, devil worshippers? Did they, did they, did they uh, contribute to the the night stalker, the night prowler, those sorts of yeah. questions? Um, and then after a while, this was sort of a, adopted as everyone's favorite old hard rock slash heavy metal type band, and maintained their success up until, as we'll talk in a bit, much recent, much uh, more recently, when the band started to literally fall apart, uh, unfortunately, to, de uh, to death and arrests and uh, hearing loss, but yeah. man, for a long, long time, these guys were about as uh, uh, as reliable as could be in delivering what you wanted from ACDC. No experimentation, uh, no weird uh, psychedelic albums. This was just ACDC playing ACDC music. We turn things over to uh, Eric Garcia. Eric, tell us, how did you get into ACDC? What do they mean to you, and why should other people care about this band? I think to your point about it is that like, I mean, I got into ACDC because my dad loved ACDC. My cousin David, who used to babysit me, used to listen, used to get me into ACDC records, which, you know, obviously scared my very, very religious Christian mom. Um, and I think that was kind of the appeal to it was that, like you said, ACDC had this kind of danger. And I mean, I think that, you know, I went to a school where I had to wear school uniforms. So like <laughs> the idea that like, hey, I can wear a school uniform and play really loud, aggressive, obnoxious music was really cool. And I think that there's also this kind of idea. I love Led Zeppelin. I love the ACDC band. But like there's this feeling like you have to be pretty cool to like Led Zeppelin is cool. And The Who was for jocks. They were for mods. They were for people who dressed hip. You, you know, the Stones were the Stones. They were sexy. ACDC was for the knuckleheads like me. Was for, <laughs> were for, they were for the screw-ups. They were, um, I know that this is on National Review, but they were a very proletarian band, so to speak. <laughs> you know, and, and that, that was the accessibility, is that, that like, anybody could, and I think uh, they, there would have been the maybe want to play guitar. There was this feeling that, oh, if you learn, 
if you could just play an E chord and then a, a, a D and a G, you could play, you know, basically every ACDC song there is. So, so there's this feeling that ACDC is so readily accessible to anybody and everybody. I mean, it, it's hard to disagree with that. You know, for me, of course, uh, you know, growing up in the 1980s and uh, the 90s, uh, there were two albums that every kid had to have, especially if they were trying to piss off their parents. And one of those was Back in Black. Yeah. And the, uh, the other one was Highway to Hell with, uh, you know, yeah. uh, with uh, Angus Young there on the cover wearing devil horns and holding his uh, devil tail in his hands and sticking his, you know, he doing the Mick Jagger pouty lip thing and first song is my mom i remember my mom listening to my brother and i in his bedroom my brother was putting on you know we're on the highway oh, to hell exactly. and then my mom barges in she's like what is that <laughs> jeff what yeah, is that, that? what they say Yes, yeah, it, was, yeah, it, was, was, it was definitely a scene, and of course that made us like him even more. Because God, you know, if you could wind up your mom, that was that was the that was a, a double bonus. And so, like, yes, we had all those songs. And then, of course, around that time was was actually when ACDC was making a comeback. This would have been like 1990s or 10, 11 years old. 91, The Razor's Edge had just recently dropped, and that's actually one of their better later period albums. So, like, that was what ACDC meant to me, you know, as a kid before I really had any well developed taste. Uh, in any sense, it was just, you know, here's these great chunky riffs, and it's a great way to tick off your parents without actually getting grounded. So uh, it was had wonderful purposes for that. But, you know, you come back to them. And, of course, I spent a lot of time listening to them recently. And, of course, you know, I've gotten into all their music over time, or, you know, huge amounts of it, at least, uh, just because you can't help but hear the classic stuff from, like, say, Dirty Deeds all the way through to For Those Who Are About to Rock. Uh, what I came to realize about them, their greatest virtue, is that they are and, – and, and, and bear with me here – is that they yeah. are the funniest joke band in history. That uh, if we talk oh, about yeah. – if we talk about Spinal Tap, we talk about Spinal Tap and all these – you know, the classic parodies. There's also a band out there that makes really great heavy – fake heavy metal joke, heavy metal called Steel Panther. Mm-hmm. I, I love Steel Panther. I love Steel Panther. Okay, so if you, know, if you know Steel Panther, then – you know full well, Spinal Tap, Steel Panther, you know that these bands absolutely based their entire shtick, you know, the parody of heavy metal and hard rock tropes, uh, based entirely upon ACDC. Yes, they took a lot of things from other groups too, you know, you know, lots of parodies of sort of high prog rock and like Led Zeppelin and Aerosmith and this and that, but man, the core, the backbone of the Spinal Tap myth is basically ACDC. And what people don't often realize is that ACDC were in on that joke themselves. I'm going to get into this a little bit later, especially when we get to sort of their classic era albums but this band was funny as well as just being incredibly good at chunking you know churning out straight ahead pure hard rock riffs that were just really catchy and well assembled and and, 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 you know really well produced too once they got into the late 70s but this band also people think of them oh they're so dumb they're so stupid yeah you know a lot of these lyrics are kind of intentionally kind of dumb but it's intentionally yeah. so. Like they know what they're doing. They're they're in on the joke. So that's what ACDC always meant to me. 
Well, that brings us to the uh, beginning of ACDC's career. Uh, you know, small, inauspicious beginnings. Beginning in Australia. Uh, I guess maybe we have to consider them an Australian band after all. Uh, because <laughs> yeah. uh, their first two records, uh, High Voltage and TNT, were released in Australia. And uh, didn't see release in the United States until much later. This, by the way, is where the discography can get a really confusing. Because their first international, which is to say, you know, buy it on CD in America album, is also called High Voltage. But it has nothing to do with the album that Australians know as High Voltage. The original ACDC album is an album that, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if guys, you, one of you two wants to speak up really strongly in favor of it, you feel free. But it, it to me, it is pretty much, you know, first step beginning sort of a thing. I don't think it's very well, you know, very well accomplished. They don't quite know what they want to be yet. There are some weird glam rock tendencies on this. They got this yeah. one tune on it called Love Song, which I think is pretty funny because it's like ACDC trying to write a beautiful power ballad. Uh, this yeah. is not what ACDC would be stylistically. But it does have one really great song on it, which is a cover of the old standard Baby Please Don't Go, same one that was done by them and by the Amboy Dukes, among others. That's um, Johnny Hooker. Right, yep, exactly. And uh, the second album, though, was where things really take off. Second album in Great in uh, Australia was called TNT. That would be 1975. Uh, and it's probably better known, at least most of it, came to the rest of the world under the name High Voltage. This is why I said things were considerably <laughs> strange. Uh, but this, I think, is a pretty solid album. This is ACDC putting together the skeleton of what ACDC rock would sound like. The production isn't there yet, and that's a shame. Uh, but the songs, a lot of the songs are there. I really love the opening track on this album. I think it actually could be, in a secret way, one of ACDC's best songs. It's called It's a Long Way to the Top When You Want to Rock and Roll. And it is ACDC with bagpipes. Yes, they have bagpipes all throughout the chorus of this song, played by Bon Scott and I think a couple of other people on the studio album, no less, really badly play bagpipes, but man, they work. <laughs> what a great rocker. also really like the title track tnt i uh, like there's a song called rocker you know acdc would be not one for uh you know uh you know, super unique names i think like more than 50 percent of the songs they released in their career have the word rock in them at one point or yeah. another uh, so rocker is a great song but this album is kind of where it starts for them i think as a band that knew what they wanted to do my only regret is that uh, a, The Jack is just a painfully boring venereal disease song. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And this is, by, by the way, would be a theme for ACDC. They had lots of songs about VD. Uh, <laughs> and the other one is that uh, there's a genuinely fantastic song on this record called Live Wire. 
That's that sounds one. like it. It sounds like it was recorded in a sock, and <laughs> it's just a terrible sounding production. And it makes me weep for the fact that they didn't save that for you know Let There Be Rock or one of their later albums. Because man, it would have really benefited from a, from a more straight ahead and you know more direct production approach. Because the song is good, but the way it sounds on this record is not so good. Uh, Scott, what would you, what do you think about it? Uh, I, I generally picked up the international version of albums, and I know that most of High Voltage uh, International is TNT Australian, so I think most of these comments will hold. Uh, I think Rock and Roll Singer might be my favorite song of the album after It's a Long Way to the Top. It's the second track of the international version, and it's got a great intro. ACDC is a great band for uh, for music beds, for radio shows, or any purposes. But Rock and Roll Singer, you know, I don't think we'll pay too much attention to lyrics through our time through ACDC's career, but this one has a great Malcolm riff, and the lyrics are about disappointing your parents who wanted you to be a doctor or a lawyer, but instead... You were a rock and roll singer. Um, and and, and uh, Bon even delivers this this line, you know, they wanted me to be a doctor, lawyer, and he says, but I had other plans. With this, like a sly whisper. It's a great uh, vocal performance and a great uh, uh, instrumental track on rock and roll singer. <laughs> You also have to mention, of course, TNT, the title track, those uh, those oys, uh, the background vocals, which uh, Angus was kind of just ad-libbing to himself. And George Young, the producer, said, you know what? We can put that right on the track. That'll, that'll work out well. Yeah. And uh, I also like High Voltage, which is the, the final track on the international version. Um, high Voltage Rock and Roll. It's what ACDC is all about. It's going to have another great opening riff. There are a lot of them through ACDC's career. And as, as Jeff said, look, it, it's kind of um, it's a little haphazard. It doesn't quite all fit together perfectly, but the, the pieces are all there. They'll be put together at a later date, but there's a lot of promise on, on this first record. Yeah, like, well, one, one of the things that I love about it, it, I mean, that was, I think, the first album I latched on to, because my dad loved ACDC, my cousin loved ACDC, but that was the album, I think that was one of the first al- ACDC albums I bought with my own money, um, and it was a reissue uh, of the CD, and it had that kind of Angus Young, Gibson SG, and one of the things I loved about it, the reason why I wanted to play a Gibson SG was because Angus, was because I was like, oh, the guitar kind of looks like it has devil's horns on it, you know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, you, you know, so not only does Angus have the devil's horns, but you know, he, but it's great. It's deviant. It, it, to Jeff's point, it's really great. Immature rock. The Jack is probably the most nauseating song on that album. I agree with you, I agree with both of you, but I think that more than that, I think that there's so many great just. And one of the things that's underrated about it is a Malcolm's great, but there's a lot of great inner interplay between. Uh, Malcolm and Angus guitar, Angus's guitar playing. There, there tends to be this idea that, oh, well, Ma- Malcolm's playing the riff and Angus just plays the lead, but Angus adds these really great overlays throughout stuff like Rock and Roll Singer and throughout Long Way to the Top that add the perfect kind of ambiance to, I think, Malcolm's really, really steady riffing. And to me, I think, you know, TNT is a great, is, is an iconic song. Cause I'm TNT. 
long way to the top is one of the is you know it perfectly describes what it's what probably what ACDC was doing at the time, getting paid, getting ripped off, getting you know screwed by by club promoters. Every garage band and every bar band has been through that experience. So it, you really get the feeling that for a debut album, this is what they're going through. And speaking of getting screwed, you know, by you know the industry, uh, how many bands have a situation where they're able to finally break through and get like international release and American release for their albums, and then suddenly their next record um, gets canned? Uh, Dirty <laughs> yeah. Deeds, Done Dirt Cheap, a pretty damn good album, as I'm going to go on to argue, and I think a lot of you, the rest of you guys would agree didn't even merit an American release. I think they took one listen to, uh, you know, the four yabos in the band grunting dirty deeds and they done dirty. They're, done, they're done. like, you know, this is, this is, this is not going to play in Detroit. And uh, they were wrong <laughs> about that. Uh, and only, they only finally got released, uh, I think, uh, in 1981, like after Back in Black had yeah. made them, yeah. you know, household names. And then they kind yeah. of almost stomped on the release of their next album and then, you know, put this old one out, uh, which is, you know, you know, not only was you know kind of a cruel thing to do to them, but also a really dumb idea because it doesn't sound anything like high level, you know, high church era ACDC. Mm -hmm. It's still yeah. a little bit underproduced. There's still a couple really generic songs like "There's Gonna yeah. Be Some Rockin'" uh, sounds exactly like um, uh, what's the other song on the album? Uh, it, it's um, I can't even remember. It's so generic. I cannot even literally remember the name of the other song that was cut off of the U.S. version of the album because it, it, they are basically exactly the same song. So there's a lot of stuff on this record, I think, where they're like, okay, well, we just kind of have to fill some time here. We don't really have everything quite together yet. But, man, that title track is obviously a legendary thing. And I also really like uh, Ain't No Fun Waiting Around to Be a Millionaire. Hmm. Which yeah. I think might even be a little bit better in some ways than Dirty Deeds, although it's close. But I also just think the thing that really leaps out the most to me about uh, Dirty Deeds as an album is that this is the first moment where I heard Bon Scott and I thought, well, this guy isn't Brian Johnson. Because remember, I knew Brian Johnson stuff first because that was what I was yeah. That's where I came into ACDC. And I heard Bon Scott and I'm like, well, this guy's got charisma. You know, Brian Johnson just kind of was like a shrieking banshee of a voice and it's like just silly yeah. cock rock, you know, taken to the ultimate extreme. Bon Scott is like a sly guy and he's yeah. having a laugh with you and he's, he's telling you dirty jokes and silly stuff um, and you know Big Balls oh god this is almost legendarily <laughs> stupid song on Dirty Deeds it's just it's, it's just Bon Scott just saying like oh I have the biggest balls and I hold them every night in high society he's making a really subtle pun guys on like ballrooms and like you know holding parties and you know uh, a certain part of his anatomy it, it, it's really kind of like you know, James Joycey and level wit um, <laughs> but, but there's something about it man that I like I yeah. can't help it no, no. as I said earlier today I said earlier today on Twitter actually I said listen I listened to enough ACDC and I have one conclusion that Bon Scott is the Leonardo da Vinci of singing about balls <laughs> some balls are held for charity and some for fancy dress but when they're held for pleasure, they're the balls that I like best. My balls are always bouncing to the left and to the right. It's my belief that my big ball should be held every night. Oh, We've got big
This man had a brilliant original take on the subject. So I do like this album, even though I think it's kind of, it's definitely not, they hadn't fully put it all together yet. It, it's a great, it's a great, I mean, well, this goes back to even the first album, uh, She's Got Balls, is, is, is another great, is, is a great one on, on high voltage. Like, this is, you, you know, and it, it's funny because Bond was a little bit older than Malcolm and Angus, if I can get kind of, you know, so they looked up to him and he was kind of like much in the way that my, my cousin, my deviant cousin was the one who got me into ACDC. Bond was kind of that way for Malcolm and Angus. He was this kind of guy who was older. He had this. He had more raw sex appeal. Uh, Brian Johnson. He was in a band called Jordy, so he's very working class, very like you said, cock rock kind of. Uh, you, you know, expo- expressive, but mm-hmm. Bon Scott had this charisma. He had this raw sex appeal. He had this kind of playfulness, this jokiness to him that was really, really, and, and you know, going to just point that they're in on the joke. Bond was always in on the joke, but like you always felt that he was super, super cool, and he was an electrifying frontman. I would say. Um, he's probably up there. If you if you were to put a gun to my head, I'd say the most electrifying frontmen of all time are Freddie Mercury, Robert Plant, Rob Halford, and Judas Priest, and Bon Scott. And and Dirty Deeds is a perfect thing. Like the way he delivers, talking about being a hitman, you can imagine him with his boots on the desk, you know, waiting for your phone call, you know, saying, "Hey, I need to take care of this this ex girlfriend of mine." You know, look, um, I don't want to say the record company was wrong to reject it because it's not a perfect album. And this is a really sleazy, dirty kind of album. Uh, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, the the title track, right? Hitman, Lover, whatever you want for the right price. Uh, Problem Child, which is a great example of uh, ACDC using three chords to their absolute fullest. Problem Child's a great song with a monster riff. And... um, but, you know, with a flick of my knife, I can change your life. There's nothing you can do. You've got uh, 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 Big Balls, of course. Uh, you've got Squealer on this album, which is just such a menacing uh, a track. Uh, but it's it's kind of an ugly song. I mean, the Squealer is the... Is the the young girl, the young girl, and her first time, yeah. and uh, and the guys are are boasting about doing those things to her and saying, uh, well, I think there's another balls reference in this song. Uh, uh, she's done it once, and she might not do it again. This is, I mean, this is the 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 sleazy, dirty kind of ACDC. I can understand the hesitancy of the record label to put this out uh, in America, uh, but then again, the songs are strong. Uh, this is not the classic. I think some people have argued it is. 
Uh, Dirty Deeds is fantastic. I like Rocker, one of the uh, short songs on the album, just 251 or so. Very fast Chuck Berry type uh, riffs on Rocker. Problem Child is one of my favorites. And, and Ride On, a uh, very slow, slow bluesy track. One yeah. of the few near ballads in ACDC's career. And I, if I read, they, they only played it live one time, right around yeah. the death of John Lee Hooker, and, and especially Angus's guitar solo on Ride On. Has a lot uh, of debt paid to John Lee Hooker, and it's uh, it's a it's a track about the lonely life on the road of a rock and roll band. I mean, a lot of their yeah. songs are that way, but it's a great track. So uh, the songs here are strong, but again, I, I can't say that I'm, I'm I'm totally surprised that a record label would not want to put this out in what 1976 in the U.S. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the funny things, one of the glaring, the, the glaring ironies is that, you know, later on, AC, and we'll talk about this later, ACDC got in trouble for Night Prowler. Yeah. When Squealer, I have the lyrics right in front of me, this is much more graphic, more disgusting, more disrespectful and deviant. It, this, this is one of the, I mean, I don't, you know, you know so if we're going to talk about Night Prowler, you know, being accused of doing some bad things. Mm-hmm. I, you know, this is, this is, you know, like you said, exhibit A of why yeah. this album didn't get released in the U.S. She said you never a single song on Highway to Hell or Back in Black that's one-fifth as offensive as Wheeler. I completely agree with both of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 It's great, and it, 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 you, you know, it, it's one of those, it's just so, you're, I'm looking at it right now, and, I'm, and I, even, you know, I'm the furthest thing from a prude, but even me, I'm just like, what? Why, why, you know, what are you, how did anybody in the production room say, yeah, let's do this, you know? <laughs> I guess that helps when your brother's producing. You get a little leeway, perhaps. Oh, yeah, perhaps. yeah. Your bro- and your brother, his, their brother, of course, jo- uh, you know, George, George uh, who was the, you know, the Easy Beats and Henry yeah. Manda. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously, George was the one who got uh, Ang- Malcolm uh, that, that great, great Gresh that he played that, uh, that gave ACDC that really chunky sound that I don't think a lot, I think a lot of, you know, rhythm guitar players, when they first want to play, they want to have a sound like, you know, have a Les Paul or something like that. But you really, in hindsight, you got to recognize that it was that hollow body sound of a Gresh that created that, which is the same deal because uh, Pete Townsend played a Gresh uh, on Who's Next. So really, sometimes if you want to get that big open chord sound, you got to go with with a hollow body guitar. Hmm. I mean, speaking of guitar sounds, it is on the next album, I would argue, where, and I think actually it's not just me, I think you get a lot of serious ACDC fans who would completely agree with me, that this is where that guitar sound first became the ACDC signature sound. And I just went back again and was listening to all these records because, you know, you're getting ready for the show, show prep and all that, and and you're putting them back to back. It's just stunning how completely different Let There Be Rock sounds yeah. 
from everything that had come before in ACDC's career. This album is the sound of this band completely unleashed. And I got to say, I'm going to let you guys talk about it first. But I think this is one of my two favorite albums of theirs. I, I can't get enough of it. You know, I know people are going to make an argument for Powerage. People argue for Highway to Hell, Back in Black. There's a lot of good, lot of good choices here. But this one always sticks with me. I like basically every song on this album. I even like the ode to the other ode to venereal disease, <laughs> if only because the title Crab City in Blue has made me laugh literally since I was 17 years old. Uh, so who wants to go first on this one? Um. Jeff, I think you, you, you can do the honors first. No, no, Scott, you go first, because uh, I got I to collect my thoughts after thinking about Crab City and Blue. <laughs> well, yeah. I think this is, look, the, the guitars, Angus and, and Malcolm wanted to, to make this big, loud guitar album, and they completely succeeded with Let There Be Rock. They still weren't breaking in the U.S., but they were starting to figure out exactly what that band was going to be. Uh, look, an amp literally blew up uh, during the recording of Hold Out of Rosie, and George Young would not stop the recording. He's like, why would we stop a hot take just because of an amp's on fire? Exactly. Uh, Let There Be Rock. Let There Be Rock might be, I don't know, I might argue something from Powerage, but Let There Be Rock certainly is in the, is in the top echelon of ACDC tracks. This is an amazing song uh, with, with Bon Scott giving you the gospel, uh, yeah, giving, right. you, giving glory to rock and roll, this fictionalized history of rock. Those guitars sound so raw in this song. Yeah. It's amazing. And the, the multiple times it sounds like it's just going to all break apart and then it all comes back together with a thunderous riff. Uh, Angus's, I think, final solo, all that fast picking and hammer-ons and yeah. string bends are Trouble. incredible. Phil Rudd is just relentless and unstoppable, his beats. This song will make your ears bleed with joy. And it's, uh, I think it's past six minutes long, but again, early on, ACDC songs were long because they had something to say and Angus Young had something to play. Later on, they all kind of slow down and plod, and but this this earns every single second of its six minutes in length. Let there be rocking away, uh, Bon Scott. Let there be light. There was light, sound, drums, guitar, and let there be rock right into Angus's solo. Let there be rock is such a fantastic track. <laughs> By the way, that Tchaikovsky was the one who gave us rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, mean, yeah, well, I, I thought it was. I thought it was Beethoven, maybe, who might have been rolling over and telling us the news. But no, I guess Tchaikovsky, after all, really did get the news. Of course, it's, but, a, it's a pun on the Chuck Berry lyric. Yeah. I, every 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 great like you know you know hard rock meat and potatoes band needs a you know mystical origins of rock and roll theme song. Yeah. Uh, Kiss had one. You know. Uh, you know, like all of the White Snake had one. All of these bands. Yeah. Band had them, and uh, this is ACDC's, and it's actually better than any of them. 
Uh, it, it's it's impossible not to enjoy, especially with that guitar sound. Um, the the only other things I want to say about this record, other than just that guitar tone, which you know, holy crap! Just I always think the whole, out of, the whole thing sounds saying? like the whole thing sounds like Dave Davies on "You Really Got Me," like like Angus and Malcolm were slashing up their amps. It just sounds yeah. so raw. Yeah, yeah, I mean, a whole lot of Rosie, no matter more than any of them else. That's what I think of. It, whole lot, everyone talks about Angus Young as a lead guitarist, and by the way, the thing about Angus Young is he isn't just a pretty great lead guitarist. He's also one of the great live lead performers. Mm-hmm. Like you don't oh, even yeah. realize it, maybe, but if you you see him play like, in his prime, and then you suddenly realize you've seen it before because it's an iconic image. You know him because he's a tiny guy. You know, wearing his like you know school uniform and the cap and scissor kicking his way across the stage <laughs> as he plays the guitar. He looks like literally like a, like a spark you know like like a live wire that's just like flipping around the stage and like the, that whole lot of Rosie to me is like the embodiment of that that live vibe in every way especially the ending play out but the thing about that song actually I want to give give special attention to is isn't just Angus Young Malcolm Young is nearly as important a part of that song and a lot of the songs on this record as Angus is because that song is driven entirely by the perfectly placed rhythm guitar on it every yeah little chunking note just absolutely sets a bedrock this wasn't a band where this wasn't like the who where there was like a flashy drummer and a flashy bassist those guys were just there to not lose the plot right it was all about the guitars and malcolm destroys a whole lot of rosie which i guess it, it we can't pass it without uh acknowledging that this is a song indeed about <laughs> bon scott um having a one night stand with a morbidly obese woman from melbourne australia Um, and and her blowing his mind no that's Oh, yeah. yeah, there's classic ACDC lyrical themes for you there. But yeah, everything on this record, Bad Boy Boogie, hell, hell ain't a bad place to be, man. That's like the rough draft of Highway to Hell and You Shook Me All Night Long, and it's nearly as good as both of them. And this album is a lot less known than the ones that would come later, and so I guess that's why I'm focusing it on a little more than I might otherwise do, because it's just as good as the rest of those. Now, Eric, I'm sorry, you were about to say something. Yeah, well, like, one of the things I remember is that, like, I know for a fact that this, I remember there was an interview, Guitar World Magazine did this in 1980, in, in uh, 2005, where they interviewed a bunch of musicians about the albums that changed their lives. This is, to your point about rhythm guitar playing, this is Dave Mustaine's favorite, this is the album that got Dave Mustaine a Megadeth into, into guitar playing. Yeah. Um, and this, and you can definitely see that he talks a lot about um, R- Malcolm's rhythm guitar playing, and I think you can definitely hear the traces later on when Dave Mustaine would go from playing from a, playing lead in Metallica to playing um, uh, rhythm. You can definitely hear that influence mm-hmm. on things like Peace Sales, but who's buying? You can definitely hear the Malcolm Young influence. Uh, on top of that, Malcolm has, to, to your point about it, the thing I didn't recognize is Malcolm plays these really, really heavy gauge strings. He plays something like 58 gauge strings. So that makes this really, 
really loud and really, really crunchy and really just... But also the thing of it is that people don't recognize is that while Angus uses more gain, Malcolm keeps his amps pretty clean, and that cuts through the mix, especially on Let There Be Rock. And there's just so much there, and there's so many... Uh, it never becomes sludge. It never becomes no, it like a sludgy noise. You always can tell the difference between the two guitars playing at the same time, even you know, even if they're both pounding in your eardrums. That's what I love about it. It's a clean sound despite being really nasty simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing I love about it. Uh, you know, Bad Boy Boogie is perfect on that. Uh, Overdose is really it is you know, it's six minutes long, but it's like there's nothing, there's no fat on it. Uh, you, you know, there, it's it, this is pure. Guitar-driven rock and roll in its in its finest place, and then you know once again to, to your point about this is that like this is you know this is Angus Young as a showman. One of the things people don't recognize that I didn't recognize until I started playing Gibson SGs is SGs are comparatively small guitars. They're not like Les Pauls. They're not big guitars. But because Angus is like what five three, <laughs> they, it, it's almost as big as him. Yeah. So it makes it so you have this little guy running around like a maniac in a guitar that looks way too big for him. And that made for this amazing live show. And also, Malcolm's not that tall either, so I've always wondered, how did he not break his back playing those really heavy gretches <laughs> that he used to play? The tallest guy in this band was five foot six. There's something about ACDC that was just, you know, it was a band for the small people, the wee folk. Yeah, the little, the little, the, the, wee, the wee people, yeah. It's uh, Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, our guest today. Eric Garcia, staff writer at Roll Call, also writing a book about autism and public policy. Find him on Twitter at Eric M. Garcia. We talk about ACDC, and we come to what I think is the band's finest moment. I think Powerage is the best ACDC album. Uh, they had figured out the plot with Let There Be Rock, by and large, before Mutt Lang came and smoothed out some of the edges for Highway to Hell. You have Powerage, uh, the last Vanda Young production for, uh, for for quite some time. This album, there's there's no... Uh, bon Scott's lyrics, first of all, are the best of his career. There's no sex songs here. There's not really wink and nod type stuff, I mean, here and there. But this is a lot about disappointment and failure. There are actual stories of excess through all these songs that, that power them through. Look, I think Riff Raff might be my favorite ACDC song. Riff Raff is an amazing track with that intro from Angus Young. It sounds like a rock army amassing for the first 40 seconds or so. And they pounds through with that. Oh, I love that riff. I love it.
Riff Raff also, uh, again, a, a couple of uh, asides from Bon Scott. Riff Raff, it's good for a laugh. And he doesn't laugh. He says, ha, ha, ha. Um, he, you know, as, as Jeff has pointed out many times, they're in on all of this. Riff Raff played, played at a very fast tempo, almost a punk-type tempo to it. And they are smart enough to let that amazing Angus riff unspool for like the first minute and 40 seconds. I don't think Bond sings until the minute 40 mark or so. Riff Raff is just one of my favorite, favorite ACDC songs. Rock and Roll Damnation added at the last minute because they wanted a single. Works well. They're actual hand claps and maracas in this yeah. song. Uh, Rock and Roll Damnation leads off the album. Sin City, one of my favorites. This uh, unbelievable crunch at the beginning of the track and the, the tales of what happens in Vegas, not staying in Vegas. It's a vivid portrait of things that go down in Vegas and how much Bon Scott wants to look forward to getting back there. Gone Certainly shooting. the most unexpected reference to shoots and ladders in a, in a hard rock song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was in, I was I had a layover a few months ago when I was coming back home from California back to back to DC and I had a layover in McCarran and um, while I'm in between you know waiting for my layover and playing uh, really sad uh, slot machines at McCarran Airport <laughs> this song comes on and I am just and at some point I wanted to pay the DJ or whoever put that on put that on just because like that was just too great and too on the nose and it's kind of kind of to your point this kind of here I am at the playing sad sack slot machine <laughs> um, uh, you, you know and, and, and listening to ACDC it's simultaneously one of the most pathetic and most in, in fulfilling moments in my life in my adult life <laughs> Phenomenal album. You like you said, you get that great guitar production quality. Um, you, you know, uh, and, and and you have that great, great, um, you know, crunch from those Marshall amps that really goes away in the later in the later um, in the later ACDC era. They stopped using a lot of the earlier amps that they used mm-hmm. after that album, uh, and they don't really go they don't really go back to using those old Marshall leads until. Ball Breaker, which has its flaws, but one of the things I'm glad about with Ball Breaker is that they go back to using those older Marshalls and older guitar strings. So that gives it this really great crunch. Malcolm has this, uh, Malcolm has, of course, his great parts, but Angus has these really great staccato parts and this killer vibrato throughout. Throughout, he does. And what's under the no, moon no, no, is no, actually no, one of my favorite songs. And one of the, what's under the moon is actually a great yes. song. It has yes. a lot of great lyrics. Um, you, 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 I mean, that next to the moon, my, my, my mistake. And then Gone Shooting is great. They're, 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 you know, this is ACDC at its grimmest and its most brutal. Oddly enough, not the album that comes after Bon Scott's 
death isn't that depressing. This is a kind of depressing ACDC album. Uh, first of all, I'm going to say this much about Powerage. Uh, I know I'm not supposed to think this because Highway to Hell is a more iconic album cover, but oh no, yeah, damn yeah. it if I don't love the cover <laughs> of Powerage. <laughs> yeah. It's a great oh. cover. Angus, yeah, it, it, Angus Young being electrocuted with his like his tongue lolling out and his eyes are bugging. <laughs> like he's like ah, it's like four million volts course through his body and he's holding the wires in his hands. Oh god, it's hilarious every time. And it also has a cheapness to it, which I yes, think is really yes, it funny. does. Yeah, <laughs> it looks so sleazy and dirty. Like I was like, oh, this is this is clearly a disreputable record for for disreputable kids uh, who, yeah. who should should in no way be listening to this music and should probably do something really productive with their lives, like get a job and go to college. So, which is exactly well, but, kind of to your point, to your point, this album and ACDC are for the kids who probably are too much of a screw, too too screwy, and have a few loose screws to fit in in college, and that, or fit in, in in polite society. That's the beauty of ACDC is that you is that they were for the people who didn't fit in anywhere. Mm-hmm. They didn't condescend to them either, though. That's the thing, because this is not a cheap album in any way. No. This is a fantastic record. I don't really think I, I heard Scott. I don't know. Maybe you. I I, I I took my head away for a second. Did you mention Down Payment Blues? No, I didn't mean, get a chance. That is to. a fantastic song. That yep. may well be the best song on this record. Okay. Next to the moon, I know Eric brought that up. Gone shooting, um, you have a lot of bullet actually, bullet metaphors on this record. I expected what Eric talking about, kind of a you know dark that, kind of a thing. What that's a saying, dr- that's a drug reference though. That gone shooting yeah, is gone, about gone you know, shooting a girlfriend is, who's an addict, heroin, but it's also about you know guns. But the, yeah. give me a bullet, it's like give me a bullet to bite on. You know, basically like the way you bite the bullet when you you have to get surgery and like sit in the Civil War when they didn't have anesthetic. <laughs> and this, of course, in this case, it's about the the mean woman mistreating them. Standard stuff for ACDC. But man, these these riffs are just so amazing. And the other uh, other thing that that is just so noticeable about this that i want to really focus on more when we get to the next album is that bon scott is getting better and better at singing which is a surprise yes yes finally actually learning what to do and and, you know we talk about how the band grew and you can definitely hear the growth in the band sound how they streamline their approach how they figure out how they want to you know do this stuff they kind of cut away the fat and they focus on the hard rock uh, and then they figure out their production sound and of course all this comes into focus on the next record Uh, but the other thing that really needs to be appreciated is is prior to his untimely death Bon Scott was only getting better and better and better as a singer and I guess this has to inevitably take us to highway to hell which is the moment where acdc went from that again that 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 sort of shady cult band that you know you guys listen to and you bought the album and you snickered at uh behind the 7-eleven after school uh (laughs) to like a really big radio hit and this standard story the standard line given uh about the reason for this is that they brought in uh, a guy named mutt lang very famous producer 
Uh, I think he's also uh, a South African. Uh, so he yep. comes yeah. from the Otter, or if he's, he's from Zimbabwe Mary or something Shania like Twain that. Later on. What is it? He married Shania Twain later on. Oh yeah, I know he did. I know he did, and uh, he. Uh, but he also came from the sort of the seedier parts, the less, the less known and, and less traveled parts of the British Commonwealth. So I'll bet he probably got on pretty well with these guys. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, they ended up putting together a an album on Highway to Hell that you first of all you know the cover, you've seen it. It'll appear in classic rock albums. And we talked about it right at the beginning of the show with you know Angus is you know you know wearing his, his schoolboy uniform with the cap. He's got devil horns. The whole band looks like. You know, the kinds of people I think the, the ACDC toured uh, when they named one of their tours the Lock Up Your Daughter Tour. Um, yes. On the cover of Highway to Hell, they look like the quintessential band for which you would absolutely <laughs> lock your daughter up. Uh, they look just absolutely disreputable and filthy. And the music on the inside of this record is completely consonant with that. The, the funny thing about it, in a way, is that their most famous song on the record in fact one of the most famous songs they ever did which is the opening track highway to hell i don't think that's the best song by a long shot no it's got a great girl's chorus. Got rhythm. everybody loves the chorus what were you gonna say girls got rhythm to me uh, for me it would be if you want blood if you want blood you oh, got God. it is like highway to hell but a better version of it okay and I, I could literally go on forever about these songs shot down in flames get it hot yeah. i love these things and then of course it all ends with night prowler which i'm going to let someone else cover because i can't just take every one of these songs up for myself that's selfish yeah uh well, well like i mean i remember i mean a perfect example of what this what this band means is that like i remember when i was you know starting to learn how to play guitar and i was reading tabs and things like that and then when i finally got down to highway to hell riff i remember overhearing my dad saying "Ooh, you got it you know <laughs> it was like and you know one of the other things about that album that a lot of people don't notice is that all of them are putting on their best kind of like angry mean mugging with the exception of bon scott who's got this kind of sardonic kind of laughter on the, on the cover of that album he's got this kind of like like as if he just smoked a joint before yeah, everyone, everyone else, like, 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 yeah, exactly. Malcolm Young is trying to look really mean, and so is Angus. And then Bon Scott's just in the corner laughing at the rest of them. Yeah, exactly. He's having a, he's having the time of his life, and you know, uh, you know, maybe there's some symbolism there, you know, because of the fact that he would die after. Maybe there's not, but like, I always loved that. Get it hot is great. There, once again, that really that really crunchy guitar playing, the get it hot, shot down of flames, girls got rhythm, like is such has such a great swagger and once again you can hear the guitars don't mush together there you can distinctly hear malcolm and angus angus's guitar playing there Flames, such a great song. There's no other. There's there's just such great wordplay, and there's this space, and you can clearly in this album. I think you can more than any other album. I think you can hear the influence of the Who in this album, if you could ask me. And the other interesting part about this album is that for a while, Stones actually. But you were saying, oh yeah, 
Yeah, but the other thing that that sticks out to me is that when is that before they got uh, Mutt Lang for a while they had Eddie Kramer engineering for them, who of course is famous for who's another South African, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, and Eddie Kramer. It, of course, engineered for Hendrix, he engineered for Led Zeppelin, but they just couldn't get along. And in my opinion, that's the dumbest thing you could do is put together Eddie Kramer and uh, ACDC because they're such two different people. Eddie Kramer is a master of using this studio as an instrument. He did that with Hendrix. Right. Uh, Eddie Kramer's all about like crazy production tricks and like making Hendrix's psychedelic guitar sound like it's at the bottom of the ocean. That's not what ACDC ever. Yeah, that's not what ACDC is. Don't get me wrong. I love Hendrix. uh, You know, obviously, like every guitar player. But but you know, that's not you know, Electric Ladyland is one of my favorite albums. But (laughs) but you know, that doesn't belong. And and, you know, apparently he was really restrictive on Bon Scott. He said he needed to quit drinking and things like that. And they they really just didn't blend well, and I'm glad they got someone like Mutt Lang, who even if he gussied up parts of it, even if he took out some of the, the, the harder edges, it's, it's, this is the quintessential rock and roll record. If I, if I were to you know, recommend one out of the birth canal, it would be Highway to Hell. Um, just, to, just to put the fear of God into babies, just by seeing Angus <laughs> Young with that tail. <laughs> well, you know, when uh, I... When I talk ACDC, I always have to you know mention or I mention the early ACDC, the early Bon Scott is is just it's it's very different from even back in black and certainly the Brian Johnson era. What I mean by that, I guess, is you know Power Ridge is really like the the last boogie and groove record. Ever since then, they're channeling their power in in new ways, right? Yeah. And so on on Highway to Hell, you know, Mutt Lang comes in, things are polished without taking away some of the crunch of the band, but it's a different style of song that eventually comes out of the speakers at the end of the day. Doesn't mean it's it's worse. It's different. And it's kind of the yeah. template they take moving forward. Um, if You Want Blood, Jeff mentioned, is just an amazing song. And I love the fact that that in the middle, of Bon Scott tosses out, it's O positive, by the way, if you, if you yeah. wonder. O positive. Um, oh, yeah. Blood on the <laughs> Streets. That's a question answer right there. Right? Yeah. Blood on the Streets, Blood on the Rocks, Blood in the Gutter. Every last, last drop. drop. I love it. I love it. And that build up for the first 40 seconds or so before it explodes. It's a great track. <laughs> Always love Shot Down in Flames. Touch Too Much is the one song I think that, that like, Lang goes, like, one step too far. It's a little too glossy. It's almost a little too Billy Squire-ish in, yeah. in terms of its production. Ooh, uh, wow, that's some fighting words yeah, there. Yeah. Well, one of the things that might be the reason for that, as I noticed, with, is that uh, I think it's either is that uh, Angus is playing some power chords there instead of some open, some open chords. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's a little more polished. Whereas ACDC is not known for bar, for bar chords and power chords. They're known for right. open chords that give that real ringing chime sound to it that I love. Um, uh, the, the other thing, I mean, to your point about uh, if you want blood, you got it. I don't know if you remember, but the day of the election in 2016, uh, Guar did a cover for The Onion. 
uh, playing. In fact, so I don't. The intro to Boston, uh, long time, but then the kid going to "If You Want Blood, You Got It," and they, of course, Guar being Guar, they have you know a zombie Hillary and a zombie Donald Trump murdering each other, and it is, <laughs> and it is the best. And I'm like thinking to myself, I am surprised Guar didn't cover this song before because it's because it's the quintessential Guar song, and you know that was the first song I listened to after. Uh, Malcolm Young died yeah. was was if you want blood and it's such a great riff um, I remember uh, I, I, I was for some reason I don't explain why I, I was watching that awful remake of the Dukes of Hazard from 2005 but the <laughs> one good part of that movie is when Johnny Knoxville and Sean William Scott are driving to if you want blood that's the only redeeming part of an otherwise terrible movie um, but is that is that that if you want blood is such a good good quintessential rock and roll song that like you said that and beating around the bush are, are uh, I mean, and, and shot down in flames all of it is so good i can't pick a favorite song on there but if i were to go with it i would probably go if you want blood by the way that actually reminds me of a long-held theory i've had about movie soundtracks uh, that yeah. if you want to take your 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 mediocre to terrible uh buddy cop or action flick and somehow give it at least one transcendent moment of awesomeness all you need to do is license an acdc song for the soundtrack <laughs> well, absolutely all you absolutely. do is put on like you know, hey look at maximum overdrive i'll watch that film which is terrible yes just because yeah. of the acdc soundtrack which we'll get yeah. to let's be careful um, how we throw around terrible it's it's um <laughs> it's not a great film but it's fun to watch Oh yeah, it's, it, a it, it, it's, it's, it's a totally so bad it's good kind yes, of a film. Yes. In fact, it's, it's Let, you know Stephen King didn't go on to direct a lot of other movies for a reason. Zero. You know? And if you see him around that time, he is so apparently drugged out. It is crazy. Even on some of like the promo shots, they're they're like these promo on YouTube for I'm directing a movie and I'm Stephen King and he's, he's so glassed over. It's unbelievable. I think he says he doesn't even remember writing the Tommy well, Knockers around that someone, time because he was uh, I don't out know of his head. I don't know if it was Nathan Rabin. Someone wrote that Maximum Overdrive is what would happen if a sentient bag of cocaine directed a film. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, we already, we already know that Oasis' is Be Here Now is what happens. Yeah, when a right. bag of cocaine makes an album. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the movie version of that. Eric, what were you going to say? It, 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 yeah, well, like, I, mean, I, think, I think at that point, I think given how many drugs Stephen King was taking... <laughs> It, it, you know, it's pretty obvious. But like to your point, like I mean, I think you said like every bad buddy cop movie that's a ripoff of every other mediocre buddy cop movie. Like you said, if you if you put in Shoot to Thrill, which I don't know how many, I can't count how many, uh, you know, uh, you know, movies have Shoot to Thrill in it. Right. You know, for a car chase. You know, I'm gonna listen to that and I'm gonna enjoy that car chase. Uh, yeah, you know, exactly. Uh, every every film that pairs up like an awkward older white cop. With like a yeah. young hip African American <laughs> cop should yeah. have an ACDC song. That's the rule. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's how it works. Yeah, that and then like or Thunderstruck is another one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know that you hear a lot. Uh, another one that, that that immediately comes to mind. I'm trying to think. Oh yeah, um, the Longest Yard, which isn't a cop movie, but the remake, the terrible remake yeah. with Adam Sandler, has Thunderstruck yeah. in it, which is funny because it also has the great co the guy who would go on to be the great Kali in the WWE <laughs> in that movie, and it's just it's so bad. But it but but I will watch that movie solely for seeing that scene where Thunderstruck is played in it. Before we get right. to uh, Back in Black and Bon Scott's death, we spent a moment on Night Prowler, which is the final track on Highway to Hell. It's yeah, a right. tremendous song. This slow, slinky track. Now, 
it was this good. is what I meant when I said there was a Rolling Stones influence. This is clearly their version oh, yeah. of Midnight Rambler, oh, yeah. right? Gotta be. But they'd get in some trouble, ACDC would, at least publicity-wise. You had uh, the Night Stalker killer, Richard Ramirez. In 1985, he killed and raped 15 women. There were reports from the police that he was wearing an ACDC shirt. When he was doing the killing, he left an ACDC hat. Uh, he said he was a Satan worshiper. All sorts of bad publicity for ACDC around 85, which is when they could probably least afford it based upon their output of music. The yeah. band now claims that the song itself is not about a killer, although you, know, you don't feel lying. the steel until it's hanging out of your back is one of the yeah. lines. They say it's just a guy, you know, sneaking into his uh, girlfriend's uh, room. That's all it is. Because, like, there's this thing where she's like, you know, you're lying naked in a coffin or something like that. You know, it's it, it clearly... It's a, the simple fact is that, like, they, they, you know, they probably looked at the Rolling Stones, as I said, got got to get away with doing Midnight Rambler and yeah. then having Altamont collapse upon them all at the same time. And they yeah. emerged with their reputations intact. And so they're asking themselves, well, why is this happening to us, man? <laughs> it's because the 80s well, because were a lot Rolling different Stones than the early 70s in terms the, the Rolling Stones, nobody's ever going to try to kill somebody to the Rolling Stones, you know? <laughs> so, 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 you know, like, the, that's why... No, the that's not true, it. Eric, because yeah. you've, you've never heard dirty work. I would, I would probably kill somebody <laughs> if I had to listen to that out. When Harlem Shuffle comes on, I get homicidal. <laughs> and, and, and my eyes just run yeah. over with blood. It gets really dark. <laughs> no, but what were you saying, though? But, 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 yeah, like, I mean, I think to, to your point, it's like, what's funny is that that was around the time in 1985, if you remember, that was around the same time that there was a lot of moral panic about rock and roll. Yeah. You had the PMRC uh, with uh, Tipper Gore at the time, uh, oh, you yeah. know, doing her, doing her kind of uh, her best Joseph McCarthy impersonation. Um, you you had you had uh, Judas Priest on trial for uh, their cover of Better by You, Better Than Me, apparently convincing people to do suicide. You had Ozzy Osbourne go on trial. So this was a really so. And uh, going to the point that, like, you know, you had a lot of other bands, come, a lot of other music acts coming under fire, ACDC was such an easy target, A, because you had a guy uh, listening to, you, you know, literally leaving behind an ACDC cap, B, because ACDC doesn't fit, because ACDC, unlike a band like, even though Motorhead is, considers itself a rock band, they're always considered metal, ACDC, because it doesn't fit into punk, it doesn't fit into met hard rock, it doesn't fit into metal, it's just a hard, I mean, it's a, it's just a hard rock band, it was really hard for any bit buddy to kind of come to their defense as a result of it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you, you know, it, because this wasn't an assault on the metal community, this wasn't an assault on the punk community, or in the case with Prince, this wasn't like them going after an African American, a prominent African American musician. So there was no real camp for them. So when this happened, even though a lot of bands owe a debt to ACDC, they didn't have a cavalry to defend them in the same way I think a lot of other bands did. 
the Australians would have spoken up for them, but the Scots said that they're Scottish. The Scots <laughs> would have spoken up for them, but the Australians said that they were Australian. They had nobody yeah. to back into their corner. No, by the way, but one thing, other thing, before we leave this, um, and of course what happens next, I think everybody who knows familiar with the story of ACDC knows, is that a couple months after uh, they finish up the tour for Highway to Hell, uh, Bon Scott dies. He dies um, uh, as the classic rock way goes choking on vomit falls asleep yeah. in the backseat of the car gets ruinously drunk um you know, uh, you know vomits and some people say it's alcohol poison some people say it's that but the short version is is that right at the height of his powers and right at the height of the band's powers uh their lead singer a guy who had really driven a lot of their stuff is cut down and before we move on to brian johnson i want to finish up a thought that i'd had earlier which is that i think it's really kind of underappreciated what a loss was because mm-hmm. unlike so many singers the comparison i would make here is to robert plant robert yeah. plant's best singing performances were on the first two led zeppelin albums which are not yeah. the best led zeppelin albums led zeppelin became better musically as a band a lot later in their career uh but robert plant shot his voice out and it was never as good as that band no. as he was as a singer in the first year of that band's existence and what surprises me so much about bon scott is it's the exact opposite story over five years he improved exponentially as a singer if you listen to some of the stuff on that first australian album like little lover oh god it's yeah. terrible he, oh, yeah. he can barely yeah. carry a tune he owes nothing he has attitude i'll give him that but he owes nothing about singing and then you listen to highway to hell and again, yeah. you know, I credit I credit Mutt Lang for this. He obviously figured out something. He he either got you know he got him drunk enough, or he got him hyped up enough, and he already taught him about how best to utilize his range. But he sounds like a classic hard rock heavy metal singer on Highway to Hell. And I would almost go so far as to say that Brian Johnson doesn't become the lead singer of ACDC without the performance that Bon Scott gave on back or on Highway to Hell because they don't have the same voices they don't do exactly the same things but Scott gave such a hysterically wonderful over the top vocal performance on that album at the height of his abilities that it made it clear to the band that okay this is the kind of style we wanted to go on and we wanted to go on with on our next record which makes it a real a real tragedy that you know that they lost him at the time that they did because he was not in any way on a downslope he wasn't losing his talent he was at his absolute best he had never been a better vocalist than on that record and that is why they ended up replacing him with with a, a man whom i consider to be one of the true freaks of nature musically in terms of uh loud what kind of sound yeah. could brian johnson get out of his voice the only person i would ever consider to be equivalent in terms of insane vocal abilities would be ian gillen of deep purple who i'm sure acdc yeah. were big fans of early ian gillen um but yeah brian johnson and they bring him in they rehearse really quickly and the result is Back in Black, an album that is in the collection of every single person who was a teenager in the 80s or 90s. What the hell do we even say about this record that hasn't been said already? Well, first, you don't. There's no garage band in America that doesn't have some kid wearing a Back in Black t-shirt right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I, I, no, I just, I want to point out the speed which they move is incredible. Bon Scott died February 19th. They were recording in April and May. That obviously had Brian Johnson, and so the album is out in July. That is crazy fast to move forward from the death of your lead singer. I guess Angus t- tells the story that he was kind of moping after Bon Scott died, and he said, well, heck, I'm not going to just sit around the house all day, and called Malcolm and said, you ready to record? And they said, yep. 
So they go down to uh, the Caribbean, and it, it's actually reflected in the first lines of the album. Uh, they, they had terrible tropical storms, and as Hell's Bell starts, uh, rolling thunder, uh, pouring rain, rain, coming down like a hurricane. That's exactly what was happening as they were putting this album together. And as Jeff kind of mentioned, I don't even know what to say about this album because it is so ingrained into everyone's head. The songs are completely classics. They're on the radio eight times a day, no matter what city you're in. Um, I guess I just want to point out, Back in Black is just about as perfect as you could get uh, for a song, I think, at this stage of ACDC's career. That start-stop riff, Malcolm's uh, the guitar line and the chorus is incredible. Um, and look, there are some... I think it's one of the most recognizable riff and lick combos in all of rock and roll. I like it better than You Shook Me All Night Long. I like it better than Hell. This is, this to me, the title track from this album is the best song on the album. And it's just, I never tire of hearing Back in Black. I never stop singing along to the chorus and the elongated back as Brian Johnson gives to us during that chorus. Absolutely. I shoot the thrill. Uh, you had mentioned it in a lot of movies. I like the fact they give Phil Rudd a little um, um, room to maneuver. He he powers that that lengthy bridge in that second yeah. third of the song. It's all about Phil Rudd powering through that for about a minute's worth of time. Um, some of these songs start to get to the I mean throwaway stage. Giving the dog a bone. I like, but there's not a lot to it. I mean, it's got no. a pretty good chorus. I like the riff, but now you start getting into the Listen, man, I there's li- not a I lot like here. The subtle literary layers on that song. All right, <laughs> there's a lot to parse in that lyric that you know repays careful attention. Right, yeah, so. yeah there, there is, there is, and then I, I, I you know, to, you know, to me it's basically like a, co- a, a in some ways a copy of "What Do You Do for Money, Honey," mm-hmm. which is which is one which is one of my favorite songs on the album, which has that great once again who like opening intro. You know, down, down, da 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 da. You know, uh, you know there is some filler on it. I'm not gonna lie, but there, there's just such an iconic thing. And I remember because you know the the kind of bargain I made with my mom was that I would was that I would get a guitar, but I'd have to take lessons. So like Back in Black was to your point. That was the first non-classical song I learned on guitar. You know, and I think that that was like I remember like, and then I think that whenever whenever any guitar player, whenever any kid learns how to play that riff, and it's so easy, you're just like you're like I could do this, you know. Like, like goodbye, <laughs> Segovia. <laughs> yeah, <you're> <laughs> yeah. It's like I ha- I have it. I have it. you. You know, it's like that scene in Castaway where he where Tom Hanks creates fire. It's like you're like I've done this thing. I've created. I've played this riff. You know, it's it, it's it's a it's that beginning of that quest for any young uh, guitar player. My thesis uh, about Back in Black is that it is the most ridiculous rock album of all time, and intentionally yeah. so, which is what makes it a masterpiece. The titles alone are just 
the most genius cock rock stupidity, and I would say that they were what Spinal Tap was directly trying to parody, except the truth of it is, is that I have said so many times already on this show, they are so clearly in on the joke. <laughs> is not, is not, let me put my love into you. One of the most wonderfully on-the-nose song titles <laughs> in metal history. Have yeah. you looked at the lyrics of that song? With my artillery, I'll yeah. be guided in. We'll be riding, given what you got to me. <laughs> Let me put Let me my put love into you, babe. Let me put my love on the line. Let me put my love into you, babe. Let me cut your cake with my knife. That is <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Don't you struggle. Don't you fight. It all brings me back to that great moment from Spinal Tap where uh, Nigel Tufnell is sitting at the piano playing this very this very beautiful piano song and the Rob Reiner is, is the documentarian. He's like listening to this very kind of, you know, neoclassical, you know, oh, very, very thoughtful, sensitive ballad. And he's like, oh, that was beautiful. Nigel, what's the name of that? He's like, oh, I, I call that one Lick My Love Pump. <laughs> Which is exactly what let me put my love into you is. And here's the kicker. Here is the punchline. It's an amazing song. It, it is all-time classic ACDC song, which is why I think this is one of the great albums of all time. One of the, so it, it's not only hilarious as a joke, as like the most overcharged, over-the-top, ridiculously, comically, unimaginably extreme expression of you know adenoidal, yawping, hysterical sexual desire and hard rock riffage. It's actually deeply satisfying. Every single cut from Hell's Bells all the way on to like rock and roll ain't noise pollution. I don't have a single song on this one I don't like. You know, maybe if I'm really feeling uncharitable, I would say, well, you know, have a drink on me maybe isn't as good as the rest. Everything else on this is great. And what I'll tell you, one small thing I love, I love about Back in Black is that the single most famous song of ACDC's career, it isn't an opening track. It doesn't open side two. It's not the album concluder. <laughs> it's not hidden. It literally, it just happens to fall naturally within the flow of the album. It's uh, the song that comes right after Back in Black on side two, in the middle of side two of this album. And of course, it's the one that everybody knows. You Shook Me All Night you Long. You Shook Me All Night Long. Yeah. Which which is the one song on that album that, uh, and we talked about this in show prep, that almost sounds like Brian Johnson on that one song. He sounds like he's Bon Scott for a second. When he, when he, when he you know, she was a, a fast machine. She kept her motor clean. Mm -hmm. The way he opens that singing, he sounds like he's channeling the spirit of Bon Scott. And then at the end, he gets into his, you know, Brian Johnson hysterics. <laughs>
as I said, if you don't like this album, then you take yourself far too seriously. It's fantastic. It's great. You know, and and to to your point, what's interesting is that the first time that I think that uh, Brian Johnson auditioned with them, he he did a Tina Turner song. And and the the wordplay here, oddly enough, reminds me a lot of Little Richard uh, and Tutti Frutti. Which is, you know, which Little Richard learned in the gay bar, you know, refined in the gay bars, according to legend. You know, it's just write it as body as possible. Let this do, this be the most juvenile graphic humor as possible. You, you, you know, I love the video for You Shook Me All Night Long, where there's this girl wearing a riding a mechanical ball. Um, you, you know, and, and it's like Brian Johnson drops his beer bottles. It's like perfect adolescent, <laughs> like you said, cock rock. And it's, and it's this, it, it's this real just in your face. And there's nothing really, there, there, there's nothing really where I'm like, oh man, I'm going to change a note here or a note there. It, it's, you know, and in the, in that solo, I should say, that solo in You Shook Me All Night Long, where he starts with the top, in the position, and then he has that kill of vibrato, and then he goes, back and forth between major and minor is such a well-constructed guitar solo that you can't, I, I, I can't think of an, uh, a guitar solo I like better than that guitar solo. And it's so easy to play. You know, it's so easy to play. And it's so fun to do. And it's in, this is the album, I think it's one of the, it's, it's one of the, I think the number two best-selling album of all time behind the Eagles' greatest hits. So, you know, it, it, this is what you want when you listen to a rock and roll record. This is what you, this is what you get into. This is when you, when you wear the back and black t-shirt, this is what people know immediately they can recognize. Oh, I love You Shook Me All Night Long. I love Shake a Leg. You know, I love Shoot to Thrill. You know, it, it, it's, it's great. It's great. It's, this, is, this is what rock and roll is. Political Beats on ACDC. Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, Eric Garcia, staff writer at Roll Call, also writing a book about autism and public policy. Find him on Twitter at Eric M. Garcia. Back in Black would sell uh, eventually 50 million copies worldwide, as Eric alluded to. And so the the follow-up's got to sell a ton too, right? Well, uh, they kind of got undercut by their own record company. They released Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap in the uh, uh, aftermath of Back in Black's success. And then they put out For Those About to Rock, which to me is a pretty big mess of an album. Um, It's overproduced to the extreme uh, of Mutt Lang's capabilities. Everything sounds off through the whole album. I think we find them lacking Bon Scott's kind of wink and a nod humor through many of the lyrics that Brian Johnson uh, was writing. Um, No one remembers the lead single, which is Let's Get It Up. I mean, that's an eminently forgettable track. For those about to rock, uh, I think, endures because of the canons, and, and there is that, that, that build, which, again, is perfect for a movie soundtrack. Uh, yeah. but, but Rudd's drums are just canon big, no pun intended, on, yeah. on this song. Um, and they are, um, they are just struggling to figure out what the heck they're going to do now. Uh, there are only a handful of songs here, I tell you, are, are worth tracking down. Uh, certainly for those about to rock. I like Inject the Venom, actually. And probably my second favorite track on the album is COD, which is not, as you might imagine, Cash on Delivery, but is in fact Care of the Devil. Uh, Ooh, how edgy. I know. How very edgy of them. That song has a bit of looseness that's missing from other parts of the album.
But um, this was a huge, well, I don't know how it was thought of at the time. I was two years older, whatever I was. To me, a huge disappointment and a follow-up to, uh, to Back in Black. And I think set the table for their lost decade. Uh, I don't yeah. know if they know what the heck they want to do on this album. I, I think that it was actually reviewed fairly well at the time for two reasons. One, because it still had that very, very well-produced sound, that sheen. You know, you put on the album, right? You've had Back in Black and Highway to Hell as your two precursors. And then you hear the opening chords of For Those Who About to Rock, We Salute You. Okay. Okay. Yeah, pretty good. All right. You, you hear that? Yeah. You hear that That slow kind of a power chord thing? And then the cannons firing off. And it all builds to an appropriately loud and an ACDC riffy kind of a thing. You're like, eh, not bad for an opening single. Not the best, but not bad. Let's see what else they have to offer. And then right again on the second song, they open with the same friggin' chords. <laughs> with yeah. the same friggin' riff with Put the Finger on You. And that's the moment you realize, oh, no, they're out of ideas. They yeah. really don't know what to do at this point. And that's the real problem with For Those About to Rock, which uh, incidentally is the greatest title of any ACDC album. It comes out of uh, uh, ancient, uh, the classics, out of Latin, right. Suetonius. Uh, it's the, the, what the gladiators said to the emperor, I think Emperor Claudius, as they were brought in to die for his amusement you know, at the, uh, the Colosseum. They said, those of us about to die, we salute you, the emperor. Yeah. So yeah, it's not a, not a bad kind of a badass hard rocking thing to appropriate <laughs> it makes me think that they were paying attention they you know they had their their good proper english grammar school education Yeah, the, the album does not live up to the title. There's only one song on the record I, other than the COD, which I like. You mentioned that. I like the title track. It's not great. You know, I don't think it's quite the standard that it's become in live performance to fans, but it's good. I also like Spellbound. I think the last song on the yeah. record I think it was a pretty good song. Kind of one of the better album concluders that they've had. Um, I think it's, it's certainly better uh, as a way to wrap up um, in terms of, you know, these sort of Lang era albums than uh, the whole rock and roll ain't noise pollution, which is you know another one of the more generic songs on Back in Black. But there's just not a lot more to be said for this. And I know you hate with a passion, uh, Scott, uh, the album that comes next, Flick yeah. of the Switch. Yeah. But I would say Flick of the Switch is a far better record than this one. Uh, you know, to, 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 to your point, you know, I think one of the things also to take into context is that like, I went back last night and I listened to part to, to, to for those who are about to rock. And then when I thought to myself, well, who was Mutt producing around that same time? He's producing Def Leppard. Mm -hmm. And what I did, so I went back and I listened to Pyromania around the same uh, last night. And the production, like you said, those canned drums, things like that, it's very similar to what you hear on uh, Rock of Ages in Pyromania. And what you hear in Photograph, that really, really compressed within every inch of life to itself. <laughs> 
kind yeah. of gets the kind of drumming that that and then the the guitars and the vocals don't mix properly. Oddly enough, though, what's interesting about this is that after Mutt marries, I, I mentioned this earlier, after he marries Shania Twain, he starts producing a lot of country music. And you hear a lot in the 90s that really, really compressed guitar mm-hmm. that comes from hard rock music. Oh, see, country. that's where country music started going to shit. Hard in my life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like you would get that really, really compressed, I guess what you could call what we call now arena country, come yeah. from, you can kind of credit or blame Mutt Lang, depending on uh, on what side you, I mean, half the people in my hometown probably like Luke Bryan, but I, but, I, but, 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 but I don't. So, 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 yeah, like that, so you can kind of blame uh, Mutt Lang's production quality, you know, for uh, why country music, a lot of country music sucks now. <laughs> Well, uh, the rest of the 80s were not very kind to, uh, to ACDC, at least in my humble opinion. I want to try to kind of squeeze together a few things here to push along in the ACDC catalog. Flick of the Switch was next. I think it's their worst album. Uh, they, they tried to go back to basics, uh, but there just wasn't anything there. Everyone was getting fired all around them. Mutt Lang was fired. Phil Rudd was fired. They fired their manager around this time, too. Uh, Brian Johnson's voice sounds atrocious uh, on yeah. really most of the 80s output, but it starts on Flick of the Switch. I think he kind of blew it out uh, those those first yeah. two, three years. He had no idea how to actually sing. He sounds bad on Flick of the Switch. Uh, the one song I'll, I'll salvage from here, Guns for Hire, has uh, some nice staccato blasts of guitar through it, but I, I'm no fan. Fly on the Wall is next. A new drummer, Simon Wright, I think he's just 20 years old when he joins the band. Uh, Johnson's vocals are so bad, they have to bury him into the mix. You can barely decipher anything Brian Johnson is singing throughout most of Fly on the Wall. The drums sound even more processed through that 80s gate. The guitars on Fly on the Wall sound really... They're terrible. They sound harsh, like 80s metal processed. It's bad. Uh, Shake Shake Your Foundations, I like from from Fly on the Wall. It was one of the singles from the album. salvage that for the Who Made Who, the, uh, for Who Made Who, the Maximum Overdrive soundtrack. One brand new song, and I think it's like far and away the best song they put out in this in this era, Who Made against Who. against the expectations, it's one of yeah. the single greatest ACDC songs of all time. Off the Maximum <laughs> Overdrive soundtrack, uh, Malcolm and Angus, their guitar interplay on Who Made Who is just fantastic. And uh, it's it's the one new song with lyrics on the uh, on Who Made Who. There were two other new songs. There were instrumentals, uh, and then a bunch of old songs. And actually, they remixed uh, "Sink the Pink" and "Shake Your Foundations," and they sound a little bit better on the Who Made Who uh, soundtrack. And then before the uh, commercial renaissance of Razor's Edge, you have "Blow Up Your Video." They brought back Vanda and, and Young to produce, but this is an album where Malcolm's basically gone, uh, dealing yeah. with alcoholism, which had been setting in through through most of the '80s. It's the last album which Brian Johnson gets a gets a lyric credit on the songs. There's a lot of filler on this album, man. Nick of Time and Rough Stuff uh, and Two's Up are are just are just filler, just plain out filler. 
Uh, I do like the first 10 seconds of Heat Seeker. Where you hear the first there. 10 seconds. You hear uh, Angus playing with his frets a little bit, and Malcolm, Malcolm uh, Wright, I'm sorry, Simon Wright, the drummer, counts off for, uh, to the song starting off. good first 10 to 30 seconds of that song and actually the last song on the album this means war is one of the few from this era that's played with actual speed it's played with actual momentum to it there's a good pace to it uh yeah. but man oh man I, I you guys obviously weigh in there is uh there's a whole lot of nothing from 80 what 82 83 through 89 or so in my opinion I, okay, listen, I'm not going to disagree with most of what you said here. Uh, I think the Fly on the Wall is is just an abominable piece of garbage. I can't think of a single song on that record that I would recommend for anything other than being played at Gitmo to terrorists. Um, <laughs> blow up, yeah, blow up your video similarly. Yeah, the first 10 seconds of Heat Seeker. Wait, wait, you, you can ignore the other 39 minutes on that. Yeah, this is the National Review podcast. I'm surprised that you actually would be, def- you would be saying that, that this is proper torture. And, and, and that you, you, no, 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 no. This, this, this is worse than playing like Macarena or uh, you know that Friday video by whatever that girl was. This is that bad. It's yeah. so bearable. But I will say this. I will say this, and I know it's like probably the least popular opinion I've ever expressed in 23, 24 episodes of Political Beats. I think Flick, your, Flick of the Switch is a pretty underrated album. I'm not saying it's back in black. I'm not saying it's Highway to Hell or Let There Be Rock. I think it is a hundred times better. Okay, well, that's hyperbole. I think it's significantly better than for those about to rock, we salute you. And I think that it the, immediately the first thing you hear when, when you turn it on, rising power comes on, you hear, well, the sound isn't there anymore. They have no more lang. They're definitely back to a much more basic sound. It almost feels like they, they travel back into the past and they have kind of something approaching the Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap sound for their guitars. But that's not entirely the case. Um, it is back to basics, but I find it to be a much more interesting and original and less, and this is key for me, less self-consciously anthemic and lumberingly pompous album than, uh, than For Those About to Rock was. And I think that there are songs on there that are legitimately great, like Landslide, I think, is a pretty damn great ACDC song. It's as fast as they ever got, faster than anything on Back on Black, certainly faster than anything on about further on for those about to rock. I really like that. I like, uh, I like, as you said, uh, Guns for Hire is really good. Badlands, uh, Bedlam in Belgium, which is a stupid name. Remember, you're not coming to practice. 
You're not coming to Brian Johnson era ACDC for the lyrics, my friend, but you're coming to it for good rock and music. And this is a surprisingly decent album. It doesn't have um, a big anthem. It doesn't have We Shook You All Night Long, but it's pretty good. And you know what it also doesn't have? It doesn't have Who Made Who, which is the other one that you mentioned that I want to also single out as sort of out of nowhere. Um, you think, well, this band is washed up. Uh, they weren't certainly done yet. Um, but in, out of the entire 80s, they come out with this this wonderful, poppy, very much more poppy kind of a song in a lot of ways yeah. than anything ACDC had done before. Like, you know, yeah, you know, you go watch the video, you know, A.O. Angus is, is scissor kicking across the stage and there's a goofy, it's, it's a really goofy sci-fi video, uh, music video. Check it out because it's hilarious. It's like yeah. the evil robot androids <laughs> trying to control the band. It's, it's really funny. It's, it, it, again, very spinal tap. After Spinal Tap had come out, no less. Uh, but man, it's a great song, and 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 it kind of almost like an island in uh, the middle of a vast ocean of of awfulness for that era. <laughs> Very much so. It almost felt like an outtake, like, you know, like they right after Spinal Tap did the whole Stonehenge bit on stage, <laughs> they, they, they filmed the uh, Who Made Who video. Yeah, yeah, that's the leftovers and the refuse. I, I, you know, I can't, I, I, I'm not going to disagree with a lot of what you guys said here. Uh, fl- uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue, I'm going to go on Jeff's side, though. There are some good moments, not great moments, some good and okay moments on uh, Flick of the Switch. But uh, but I'm gonna say Fly on the Wall is terrible. The production quality is awful. The guitar quality is not what I expect from ACDC. I'm not gonna. I'm, I I would not listen to that by choice. <laughs> um, you know. Uh, but like you said, who made who is good? The first thirty seconds of Heat Seeker are really good. But it, uh, overall, this is a very utterly forgettable time. And oddly enough, I'm gonna make a case that this this kind of goes to the point that. Bon Scott is a better frontman than Brian Johnson because even though there were a lot of other extenuating factors, I don't think that Bon Scott, the Bon Scott era, ever had a bomb album like this. <laughs> or a couple of them like this. Nothing, uh, nothing even close to it. And so the question is, what the hell happened? This band seemed to be so so absolutely and permanently on the downslope into mediocrity, into the senior circuit, into that depressing hinterland where you go play third-rate venues. Um, you, you, you play, you know, your big, your biggest gig of the year is Knoxville, Tennessee, um, uh, because they just aren't making it anymore because their albums are terrible and they've lost all of their groove. And then all of a sudden, 1990, the Razor's Edge, ACDC comes back as big as ever and 
I mean, this isn't back in black quality. Of course, nothing ever will be. This is a damn good album, and it came completely out of nowhere, given what had come before. Yeah. yeah. Bruce oh. Fairbairn's involved. He helped bring back Aerosmith's career in the in the late '80s. Brian Johnson is gone because well, I mean, he's gone from the writing because of a divorce. So uh, the Youngs handled the lyrics and would from here on out in ACDC's career. And look, at the very least, with Razor's Edge, you get some top shelf ACDC songs. I think there's a, a lot of filler and some some low points. Sure. But you get well. Thunderstruck. Hey. But you get <laughs> Thunderstruck, which is a freaking awesome song that I will never tire of hearing. It was like the unofficial, well, eventually it was a, a journey, but but Thunderstruck was also kind of the unofficial anthem for the 05 White Sox team. They would come out to yeah. Thunderstruck at the start of the games, and so I'll never tire of hearing Thunderstruck. The finger-picking, the chanting, that that massive drum from Chris Slade, the new drummer on this album. Yeah. Cliff Williams' bass pops in. Malcolm's guitar. And Malcolm's riff during the chorus is just dirty and bone-crunching, and I love yeah. That yeah. riff during the chorus that Malcolm plays of Thunderstorm. But it's not they had it in them after all that time. That's a great song. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's a great, great song. Yeah, yeah. your guns up. yeah has that has that tempo that i was talking about that was missing from most of the decade there are there's a powerfulness in fire your guns that, it, that had been missing for almost a decade uh yeah. money talks hit the pop uh, charts money talks is not my favorite uh acdc song but it helps sell uh, the records um I, I think shot of love is pretty decent and there are some really awful songs and i think someone might defend mistress for christmas but that's uh, nah, not a really good, good song but look if for nothing else thunderstruck and and uh, i think to a slightly lesser extent fire guns just classic, classic Brian Johnson era ACDC, and no one had any reason to expect they would reach that level again, but they do, at least in parts, on Razor's Edge. I mean, listen, you know, how daring is it, you know, after all those years of decline, for, for Brian Johnson era ACDC to self-consciously hearken back to the classic Bon Scott era of ACDC by titling a song, Got You By The Balls. <laughs> yes, <laughs> another one in a classic ball sequences. <laughs> yes. The, into the into the cannon balls, uh, so to speak. Uh, you, you know, yeah, but it, it's a great, uh, I don't even know if that, maybe it was a Chuck Colson reference, who knows. Um, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, to your point about fire your guns, it's a great kind of nasty riff. It's not plodding along. Thunderstruck, I mean, you can't, it's, it's a quintessential song. You've got that great legato. You've got the clean guitar once again. You have Chris Slade's drumming is really solid on this album. She's got blues. Murder needs. She's got eyes of blue. Body tears. Legs out of shape. The eyes. When she's going down. Then she 
I personally, I mean, my, the old, I mean, I, I like Money Talks. It's not my favorite, but I, I would prefer, you know, Gotcha by the Balls, and I prefer, uh, and, and I would prefer, you know, Fire Your Guns. But I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna defend Mistress for Christmas <laughs> solely on the premise of Jeff's premise that it's ACDC being in on the joke. <laughs> it's ACDC being in on the joke, and it kind of reminds me going to this point. Do you remember that uh, in South Park when uh, Chef sings a very sexual Christmas song? Yes. Oh, you mean, you mean, uh, yes, yes, yes. I do. Yeah, because he says, "I can't wait to jingle your bells," which Brian Johnson sings. So I've always wondered if Isaac Hayes <laughs> took it from 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 ACDC. Uh, you, you know, it, it's one of those things. Once again, to Jeff's point. It's a great song because it's totally in on the joke, and ACDC knows what they're doing uh, in, in, in this case. And it's 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 what you expect from ACDC. It's juvenile humor, crunchy guitars, thudding drumming, and really great vocal performance from Brian Johnson. Yes, I will actually echo that. Brian Johnson's vocals are much much better on this album than they had been for the past three four albums. I mean, I yeah, guess maybe it was good of them to, to put him so low in the mix for the last one that it gave true. him a little time for his voice to recover, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But, if, but of course, the sad thing is if you thought that that was the, the start of something good, well, you know, five years later, they come out with another album, and it's, it's, it's what can you say? It's, it's one ball joke too many. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, ball breaker. Boy, this is, uh, this is fly on the wall level bad. This is a really, really terrible album, and I don't even want to say. I mean, I, I can, I can. If you put a gun to my head and you said, like, listen, the loved ones that you most cherish and value in your life will be maimed beyond recognition unless you find something good to say about this album. And it's I Jack Bauer doing that to you, so yeah, it's yeah, exactly. serious. Like, I might say something good about uh, "Cover You in Oil," but my God, I can't do anything else. It is <laughs> a terrible album. And it is just a huge shock after, hey, seemingly seem to find their, their muse again, find what, what kind of made the ACDC thing work, and then it all fell apart on this one. And, and, and I know that I think um, uh, Scott here thinks there could be a Rick Rubin connection to this. I'm, well, I'm not sure what was going on. I think that, yeah. that may be – the production may have something to do with it, sort of the approach that was taken here. Yeah, I mean, yeah. let's face it. The, the boys are on glide pattern at this point. They sold – albums with Razor's Edge, they sold albums with a, a live album that came out two years later, and everything uh, everything henceforth is gravy. And Ballbreaker had the uh, 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 had the good fortune of being after five years off, so people are hungry for new new ACDC. It had the uh, it had the the storyline of being a Rick Rubin produced album, so that got people interested. And um, you know the first song, Hard as a Rock, uh, you can figure out what they're talking about. Uh, but man, there are just no significant songs. There's no memorable riffs for the most part. There's a lot of sluggish, bluesy grooves on this album. The one, I Cover You and All is okay. I, I think the Honey Roll is okay, too. Honey Roll Over and Let Us On Top, you know. Yeah. Um, Phil Rudd's back for this if it does anything for you. But man, it looked like no one really enjoyed working with Rick Rubin. He had to leave before the album was done to go produce the Red Hot yeah. Chili Peppers instead. Um, and so it ended up being a bit of a mess. And I think it's one of the least memorable albums of their career for sure. Scott, to your, to he gave point, the Chili Peppers think... a really terrible album too, right? Yeah. Cal was it Californication that came out of that one? Which one was it? Is that one Hot Minute? One yeah. Hot Minute? Oh, it's even worse. Cripes. You know, yeah, so, Rick Rubin on a losing streak. So can I can I would it be fair to say that this album is best left under the bridge? <laughs> oh, 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 Eric, we Eric we're going to have to let you go. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> 
I'm just, I, I had, I had to, I had to. Um, the, 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 yeah, this album, there's like you said, covering it in oil, maybe having Phil Rudd is good again, you know. But it's kind of like, it's kind of like if you know, uh, you know, you have, uh, you, you know, the the idea that you would bring back Phil Rudd to this is like <laughs> bringing back the, is like bringing Kyrie Irving back to the Cavaliers if LeBron already leaves with the Spurs. So. <laughs> So I don't think, you know, to the point Rick Rubin leaves early. And, and this is kind of, the thing with Rick Rubin is that it's hit or miss because on one end, you know, he's he has a history of being able to revive bands and put new life into them. Mm-hmm. He did that with Metallica with Death Magnetic. He did that with uh, with Slipknot after they put out Island. Johnny Cash. Yeah, yeah right. he did Johnny Cash. You know, uh, he, he has the ability to put in new life. But even, you know, to the point about Slipknot, Corey Taylor hated, uh, not Corey Taylor, Jim Root hated working with Rick Rubin. Uh, on Volume Three, which is probably the best Slipknot album of all time, but he's 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 got a very spotty record. He obviously produced Yeezus, which is probably Kanye's most controversial album. But it's you know if unless he's working with someone long term throughout the long haul, like he's working with the Beastie Boys or he's working with Slayer, right? Uh, Rain and Blood is probably one of the best. It's probably the best thrash metal album of all time. He he has you know it, you're not guaranteed to have a great uh, experience. Let me say something nice about the next album, another five years off, Stiff Upper Lip in 2000. George Young comes back, so you know it's a back-to-basics kind of album. Whenever they want to go back to basics, here comes George Young to produce again. But I think it works here. I think Stiff Upper Lip is the best of these late-era ACDC albums. They're they're simple, bold riffs. um, And as much as possible, they're never going to recreate, you know, pre-powerage type that that boogie and that and, and that sort of sound but there is a little bit of that here on stiff upper lip some good song i think that the title track stiff upper lip is pretty good meltdown's a good track safe in new york city i think was released as a single uh, right around 9 yeah. 11 so bad timing but that's a pretty decent song can't stop rock and roll uh look the lyrics are bad everything at this point is is the lyrics don't don't matter every other song is is something rock rock uh rock and roll train can't stop rock and roll rock or bust everything's rock okay yeah. you just have to listen to the the, the the actual music and i think of all these late era albums stiff upper lip has the best music base to it with with both malcolm and angus and, and also you know to your point the music video, sorry jeff are you gonna say something no, actually, I was going to let you go because this is actually the point where I am ashamed to say that I, I after uh, Ball Breaker, I checked out of ACDC, and I, I'm actually going to have to go back and, and kind of look up Stiff Upper Lip because I, you know, Scott recommends it. 
And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're going to find something good to say about it as well. But these last few ACDC albums, man, I, I just don't have much to say. I have to kind of lay out on these. You know, I'm, uh, you know what I'd say about what I'd say about Stiff Upper Lip is also uh, Satellite Blues has one of the you know going mm. to the Heat Seeker thing. Mm-hmm. It's got a great hokey music video to it that's <laughs> hilarious. You got Malcolm, you got Angus Duck walking in out with zero gravity, which I'm always open <laughs> to. But you know, it's got that great snarl. It's got the good boogie. It's you know, it's it's never going to be back like you said to the Bond Scott era, but it's still fun, and I can and I can and it's a listenable listenable album. <laughs> And two albums to close things out, uh, Black Ice in 2008, which is the one time I saw them on tour. I saw them on the Black Ice tour, actually, in 2008. Brendan O'Brien produces. Uh, yeah. That might have some interesting results, you think? Brendan and, O'Brien of Pearl Jam. Yeah. Of all things. yeah. yeah. And uh, it was, Soundgarden. It was all right. It's a really bloated record. There's, I think they go almost an hour in length. There's 15 tracks. No ACDC album should have 15 songs. Are you kidding no. me? Come on. Hey. Uh, the single is the best track by far, Rock and Roll Train. They, it's simple beat, simple riff, simple lyrics. You pump your fist in the air, you sing along, you're right in the groove. Rock and Roll Train's a good track. All the way is a decent track. However, I will say I think it could be the worst song of their career, or at least in the team picture, which is Big Jack. Big Jack is a terrible song, and they actually put that on the uh, they actually put that on the set list on the Black Eyes tour, which made no sense to me. Uh, but Big Jack is bad, and then Rocker Buster, I, I assume maybe last album. Now that everyone, this is Angus and some guys, uh, Rocker Bust, Malcolm was gone, Stevie uh, Young, the, the other brother was into play. This is actually a leaner, more direct album. The, the, there's only about 35 minutes worth of music. The songs are around three minutes. I think Rocker Bust, the title track, is a pretty decent song. Play Ball was everywhere with their licensing with TBS and the Major League Baseball playoffs. It's not an embarrassing album. There's not a lot to, to write home about, though, for me. 
Yeah, the, these last two albums, I mean, I think, you, you know, with Black Eyes, I kind of have, you, you have to remember in 2008, there were three quote-unquote comeback albums in that year. Uh, ACD puts out, uh, puts out Black Eyes, Metallica puts out Death Magnetic, and finally, after God knows how many years, Chinese Democracy comes out by Death and Roses. Um, <laughs> all the raving successes. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, and, and also you have to remember at this time, a lot of rock bands were wanting to give a kind of bang for your buck. A lot of, a lot of bands were licensing with, exclusively with Walmart or Target yeah, yeah. in an, an attempt to stave off iTunes, which didn't work. So there was this feeling that we got to give these kind of deluxe packages, more music, more stuff to incentivize people to buy our albums instead of go to iTunes. Uh, so, you know, the Red Hot Chili Peppers put out Stadium Arcadium a few years before then. So there was this kind of desire to keep, you know, albums have something that you can't get from your iPod um, and it, it didn't it didn't work I don't think I think that you know tr- in, instead what it did is it probably accelerated people downloading a single songs off of uh, off of iTunes they, because they did, they'd want to hear rock and roll train but not want to listen to Big Jack mm. <laughs> for good reason <laughs> <laughs> and where we stand now before we get to our our final picks. Look, Phil Rudd is out of the band. Phil Rudd was uh, arrested on a murder for hire plot in, uh, in Australia. Uh, Cliff, can't write that. Cliff Williams. Write. Uh, Cliff Williams is gone. Cliff Williams, the bassist, retired at the end of the last tour. Malcolm Young, uh, unfortunately, has passed away after uh, dementia, uh, battle with dementia. He was out to the last album, Rocker Bust. Uh, Brian Johnson apparently had some hearing issues, though now he says they're not as bad as people thought, but Angus doesn't want him back. So Angus is still there. Axl Rose apparently is now part of the band. And the question is whether or not they will continue writing, uh, recording, and touring as ACDC with literally only Angus Young and, I guess, Stevie uh, Young uh, as kind of the, the core of the band. Because Stevie had, had, had also jumped in when Angus or when Malcolm was out with the alcoholism in the 80s. So he has a little bit of history with the band. I, you know, I, I'm not Angus. It's not my band. I, it seems to me there are enough signs here that maybe you want to call it a day. You were able to kind of piece your way through that last rocker bus tour with Axl Rose. And maybe now's the time to kind of step back and just enjoy rock yeah. and roll retirement. Don't yeah, write the song run, rock man. and roll retirement, but just, you know, enjoy it. They had, yeah. they had, they had like two separate resurrections, you know, with Back in Black and yeah. then with the Razor's Edge. You know, that that's, you know, that in rock terms, that's like the Nine Lives of Cats. <laughs> I think they should probably yeah. just settle on their laurels here and enjoy the fact that they made it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and they got a legacy that is gonna live on in the hearts of children, teenagers, and. You know, even uh, guys like me who are normally <laughs> prog rock and post-punk fans who just sometimes want to put on some stuff that'll let you rock you about, rock yourself out balls to the wall. This was a great band, but yeah, I think their day is done, and there's no shame in that. It's time to it's time to hang it up. You know, ACDC was and is the great you, you know is that quintessential band but you know i think that at this point you know angus he, he his his legacy is solidified in the hearts and minds of everybody malcolm of course the greatest rhythm guitar player of all time it's time to let it go it's time to let it retire and give it kind of a funeral pyre uh the most honorable way possible but 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 yeah i mean i don't i don't see any way that this could go that this could go on now um but i but but i but i'm really really but you know it's it's one of those it's a tragedy but you know they, things move on but it, at the end of the day still the band that i listen to i can I, you know there are certain bands that i can't listen to every day i can't listen to led zeppelin every day i love led zeppelin i can't listen to Jews priest every day i can't listen to metallica every day but i can always always <laughs> always no matter what 
crank up Highway Hell, crank up Power Ridge, put on some Bad Boy Boogie, put on some Beating Around the Bush. Um, that you, you know, I can always, always go to ACDC, uh, and 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 I think that and I think that's the that's the beauty of ACDC. That's the joy of ACDC is that you is that they're for everybody. I know punk fans who love ACDC. I love I know metal fans who love ACDC. I know, uh, you, you know, to the point that they're even sampled in Nelly and Justin Timberlake songs. You know, <laughs> uh, they, they 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 are they are the. You know the we as you said the little guys band literally they're literally the little guys band. <laughs> and we come to the uh, uh, part of the episode where all involved give away their two albums you should own from our artist and five songs you need to hear. Our guest goes first, Eric Garcia, staff writer at Roll Call. The floor is yours for your two albums and your five key tracks from ACDC. Uh, so I gotta go, and this is tough. Uh, I gotta go with Highway to Hell, and I gotta go with um, High Voltage Rock and Roll. Um, for and I, I say that because High Voltage, even though given the poor production quality, there's still songs like TNT. There's still songs like Long Way to the Top. Uh, there still is that snarl, and I imagine that danger that when it immediately came out, it was impossible to classify. So I gotta go with that. And you can't touch Highway to Hell, the final album with Bon Scott, the final uh, kind of resting, the, 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 you know, what a way, like you said, he had just started getting really, really good, and I can't think of any, and it's such a tragedy he couldn't do that, but there are so many other greats. But as far as songs are concerned, you got to go with TNT, you got to go with, um, with If You Want Blood, you got it. You have to go with You Shook Me All Night Long. Um, Highway to Hell, and then I would say Long Way to the Top if you want to rock and roll. Uh, all right, so my two albums, um, Powerage for sure. I do. I, I think Powerage is the best, the quintessential ACDC album when when they are at the height of their uh, of their musical abilities, and and really Bon Scott also at the height of his uh, lyrical abilities too. It's a it's a it's a dark kind of. Uh, uh, kind of album in terms of the lyrics and, and there's a lot of disappointment and failure on the lyrics but man oh man those songs Rock and Roll Damnation and Down Payment Blues and Sin City and Riff Raff and Gone Shooting one of my favorites so Powerage for sure back and forth a bit on the second album and I think it's gotta be Highway to Hell it, it is a strong strong group of songs that they came up with for their first album with Mutt Lang. They said it's not quite the, the boogie rhythm rock uh, of past albums, but they're channeling their power in new ways, and it's still a very powerful rock and roll record. Song-wise, I think Riff Raff is probably my favorite ACDC track from Powerage. There's some amazing playing from Angus Young. Uh, the live version smokes on the uh, If You Want Blood uh, album, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, but man, oh man, Riff Raff with that uh, just amazing, no pun intended, riffs. Fantastic. Let There Be Rock, the title track from Let There Be Rock. Six minutes plus of the gospel of rock and roll brought to you by uh, Pastor Bon Scott and some amazing <laughs> guitar sounds. Angus and Malcolm both sound like they're going to burst out of the speakers. Uh, that last Angus solo was fantastic. Let There Be Rock is on the list. Problem Child, which is on uh, a couple different albums, depending which versions you get. But Problem Child, again, it's 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 about uh, ACDC at their three-chord best. 
And um, is it about Angus? Is it about someone like Angus? Eh, monster riff. Great drums and bass on Problem Child. It's a great one. A little more of a buried album track, but I love Problem Child. Highway to Hell is on this list. Those echoing riffs from Malcolm and Angus. Um, and a powerful group. You know, Bruce Williams, not, uh, not Bruce Williams, uh, Cliff Williams, uh, doesn't always get a lot of credit. In fact, he has said to interviewers, you know, I, I pretty much do the same thing on each song. But on uh, If You Want Blood, he's got a great part that he plays. And again, uh, Bond telling you, if you're curious, it is O positive. The blood he's leaving on the streets, the rocks, the gutter, every last drop. And uh, finally, uh, one Brian Johnson era, and that, that is Back in Black, the title track from Back in Black, which I think is one of the most iconic, recognizable riff-lick combos of all time. And some, some lyrics honoring the late lead singer, Bon Scott. Back in Black goes on my list as well. Jeff, to you. Okay, for me, I'm going to try to come up with a, a spread that, where my albums and my songs kind of don't overlap, so that way I get as much possible ACDC rockage <laughs> into this list as possible. All right. So for my two albums, I will say one is Let There Be Rock, which is, I think, you know, first of all, the first truly ultimate classic ACDC album. I mean, we've said a lot about it. We, we all love these songs, Let There Be Rock, Doggy Dog, Bad Boy Boogie, Overdose, Hell in a bad place to be, and especially that last play out the whole lot of Rosie, man. That is just, you know, again, if you want smart, stupid, smart rock riffage, you're going to find every inch of it there in the Bon Scott era. And then the, la the second album I would choose is Back in Black, and I'm actually stunned that none of us have named it yet. Um, how could this not be? in my opinion, one of the most important ACDC albums. Maybe the reason is, is that everybody owns it already, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. uh, but come on, there are people out there. Hey, listen, I'd like to think of ourselves as pitching to the millennials. Yo, yeah. millennial children listening to this podcast. If for some reason you haven't heard Brian Johnson screaming about how he really just wants to cut his cake with your knife and put his love into you, <laughs> You gotta, you gotta experience some of the true, stupendous, transcendent, idiotic greatness of dumb cock rock lyricism in the heavy metal era, and you get it on every single track in Back in Black, from Hell's Bells all the way to Rock and Roll Ain't Noise Pollution, and in the middle you also get the title track and You Should Be All Night Long. Now my five songs don't come from either of those two albums because I wanted to get a little different. The first one I would choose is sort of the first truly classic song of the Bon Scott era, and that's It's a Long Way to the Top, if you want to rock and roll. Eric named that one already. You know, I'm a sucker for bagpipes in any song, whether 
whether it's a Peter Gabriel on Come Talk to Me or uh, doing the really sensitive emotional thing, or <laughs> it's Bon Scott uh, talking about the hardships of having to you know sleep with groupies and have your managers rip you <laughs> off. Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap is my second song. Uh, the album itself is mixed, but that song is going to be eternal, if only again. And it just gives me so much pleasure to grunt it out. The the whole band going, dirty deeds and the done dirt cheap. Every single time that happens, man, there's a, there's a part of me that just, you know, my caveman genetics click on and I'm swinging a club. I just, just, something about it makes me feel really, really like a Neanderthal. I love it. Riff Raff from Powerage. Uh, boy, you know, Scott said almost everything about this one that needs to be said, but it, it's a fantastic album. And the only reason I don't mention it as one of my two key albums is because they have so many that you could choose. You know, I didn't mention High Highway to Hell either. And speaking of Highway to Hell, uh, If You Want Blood. If You Want Blood is got the same kind of lope and same kind of meter as the title track of Highway to Hell, but it's even better than Highway oh, yeah. to Hell, even though it doesn't have that radio-ready riff that made it just perfect for you know uh, top 40 play. It is the best song on that album. It's one of their best songs. And then the last one I want to end with is a Brian Johnson song. I don't, I don't want to say, you know, there were a lot of actually really great Brian Johnson era albums. I think that, uh, of course, Back in Black is fantastic. I think there are, you know, there's at least a couple songs on For Those About to Rock that I'll defend, and I like Flick of the Switch, The Razor's Edge. But uh, if I'm going to name just one song from there, it's going to be Who Made Who, uh, which is the one that they did for Maximum Overdrive. It is actually, again, sort of like the first one I mentioned. It's a long way to the top, pretty uncharacteristic. If you're talking about what we think of as the classic ACDC sound, uh, Long Way to the Top has bagpipes, and so that makes it weird. Who Made Who feels a bit more like an 80s pop anthem while still keeping within that original ACDC aesthetic. Uh, but it's their last truly great song, I would say. I think it's uh, – as much as I like The Razor's Edge, as much as I like stuff like Thunderstruck, I, if I had to give The Narrow Edge, I'd give it to Who Made Who. So that would be my last number. All right. There is the Political Beats look at the band ACDC. We uh, thank our guest this week, Eric Garcia, staff writer at Roll Call, also writing a book about autism and public policy. You can follow him on Twitter at Eric M. Garcia. Eric, thank you for joining us today. This was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. I'm going to get Jeff to listen to Rush one day. <laughs> no, oh, we you shall my see. Feed. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Yes, I, yes, I talked about how I, I've still never heard a Rush song to this day, despite knowing, like, being randomly encyclopedic about almost every other prog rock group in existence. I've never heard a Rush song, at least willingly. Never knowingly, never willingly. I'm certain yeah. you've heard some if you've seen any uh, amount of movies in your life. That's a story for a different day, though. Uh, Jeff, have a wonderful week. We'll do it again next time. Yes, All we'll right. see you soon. At Esoteric City on Twitter is where to find Jeff. I'm Scott Bertram. And remember, you can find us on Twitter as well, at Political underscore Beats. Subscribe to our feed. New episodes, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Tune in. And right there at NationalReview.com. Listen, enjoy, share, leave reviews. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. Political Beats.